You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. All right. Welcome to Refrigerated Diaries. Hashtag what's your RD. And this week we take a dive into Japanese cuisine with the sushi master himself, Dr. Sushi. I'm here with co-host Chris Nessions. What's good? So this week we have Nick George, a.k.a. Dr. Sushi, here to grace the mic. How you doing? Hey, doing well. Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Okay. So uh, tell us a little bit about your brand. Is it like you explained, you told me earlier that you're not Dr. Sushi. No, no. Because, I mean, I don't think like Dr. Pepper is not like one person either, you know? So like... Uh, anyone who works with me, anyone who works for Dr. Sushi is Dr. Sushi. It can be anyone. It's, it's bigger than one person. It's not just me. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, everyone who is working for me needs to be an ambassador of what we all stand for, what the business is all about. And so everyone is Dr. Sushi when they're working with Dr. Sushi. Okay. I get called jerk chicken man every day. Real talk. <laughs> but that, that's interesting. So one thing I really like about you and, and all the things that you guys focus on is something that we focus on at Yum Village, and that is sustainability. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, give us a def- your definition of sustainability first sure. for the listeners so they know what it is. Sure. So it's a, it's a number of different things. Um, first and foremost, we're only using uh, wild seasonal fish that – is, comes from healthy stocks uh, or is harvested in a way that isn't detrimental to any other uh, seafood populations. So we're not going to use any products where someone is scraping the bottom of the ocean to get us that product. We're not going to use any like farmed uh, fish where they're pumping them full of antibiotics and that gets into the rest of the system, like down downriver or downstream. Um, you know, we try to stay away from... Uh, nut pen farmed fish. Uh, we closely monitor what feed ratios are of other uh, uh, farmed fish. We're trying to make sure that whatever we use isn't part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And we have a severe overfishing problem in our world. Because the, the, the oceans are completely unregulated. Right. And so, you know, bluefin tuna stocks down 95%, and you can still find that at like noble fish, right? Mm-hmm. You got you got even like UK mackerel now is is down seventy five percent. I mean, you like when a you lot say of down seventy five percent. The, the population. Oh wow! Yeah, and the, and no, we're running over? out of fish. Oh, we're yeah. not going to have fish in fifty <laughs> years if we don't do something about it. Oh, that's and the alarming. sushi business is largely to blame for that. Okay, I mean, I love it's, sushi. Too. I mean, I love sushi. It's, it's <laughs> I love it so much that I want everyone. To eat sushi. Right. And I, I want people in the future to eat sushi, so we got to do something about it now. Mm-hmm. It kills and me that, that we're like the like one of 10 sustainable sushi businesses <laughs> in the what, United States. It's crazy. That's, but that's what I really love about you guys because when you look at like the future generations, all these animals that we see now might not be here for them. Exactly. And, you know, I love that you guys took that approach of saying, well, you know, we're going to stand against that. We're not going to... Um, overfish you know the populations you know out of the ocean like but 
question do you guys run through a lot of distributors though trying to yes because it seemed like that'd be a kind of a tall order because even even like the the distributors and the and the fisheries that are mostly responsible for the overfishing still have wildly sustainable products in their product line mm. so it's not like you can go through any one distributor to get everything you need um. i have to go through four or five different distributors to get what i need i work with sea to table and they're they've got a network of 20 to 25 different docks that they work with mm. i mean see the table's cool i'll get a picture of some fish that just came in and they're like you guys want this and i'm like whoa okay like just just today i mean your podcast uh uh listeners won't be able to uh we'll, see this but we'll, we'll put it on the we'll internet give the, we'll give them the play-by-play play. um but yeah, like there's a, there's a you know right there you oh know, okay 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 is... my my rep will just text me like every other day send me pictures of what came in like Oh wow! How cool is that? And That's and amazing. and you know, I'll, I'll be like, oh, cool. What's the stock like on that? You know, uh, you know, stocks are healthy. We're catching a bunch of them. Uh, it's a really good product. Like, you know, so we'll we'll just I'll just buy whatever that that boat caught that day, and then bring it up here. I'll freeze it whole, uh, keep it fresh for you know weeks to come. Uh, it's 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 great. Um, but yeah, I mean, see the table's good. We go through Motor City Seafood, even mm. True World. Uh, it's like True World's the company that is probably supplying ninety five percent of the sushi bars outside of Japan with fish. Mm. They are wait, I what mean, company is it's this? It's called True World Foods. True World Foods. Yeah, mm. are they um, a stock ticker? Uh, don't believe so. A lot of it's organized through a, a church. So. Oh. <laughs> I, I don't know. They're not a stock ticker. No. <laughs> uh, maybe on one of the other indexes. I haven't looked it up. Um, but uh, it's a Korean Korean company. Started as like Sunrise Fish, I believe, okay. uh, back in the seventies. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to say that. I mean, they were part of a larger system that led to rampant overfishing. Oh, I gotcha. um, but they had they carry a lot of sustainable products, but a lot of their products are totally unsustainable. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because if if it's not regulated if 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 someone doesn't tell them hey you shouldn't do that or no you can't do that it's illegal to catch this type of fish now if someone mm. doesn't tell them that if the government body doesn't say you can't do that they're gonna do it mm. you know i mean it's a supply okay. and demand thing that's where you hear about these crazy like million dollar tunas that are being sold and stuff it's like oh yeah mm. endangered species should cost that much right it's like <laughs> yeah. oh my you god put it that way yeah it's it's, no, it's this whole market of that like, yeah overseas especially in like asia it's ridiculous um so but yeah i mean so you know i got we got true world foods we got yama show we got jfc we got a plenty of distributors that have a mix of what is like and you kind of like changes every every year like right mackerel's down this year it's up next year something like that you gotta you gotta work closely with like organizations and like so you, t- you, you work know. with a large amount of distributors to keep your supply fresh and in demand uh, sustainably. Most importantly, sustainably. Most, yeah. most importantly, sustainably. What all? What all types of cuisine do you serve then? Is it all Japanese? What, yeah, what, I mean, you walk know, us through that. What, I, I, what are I we eating? To, I used to do a lot of different stuff. Um, experiment with a lot of different cuisine, but I've oh. always had the most success with sushi. And mm-hmm. at a certain point, you're just like. Okay, I'm gonna do with what I know best. I'm gonna mm-hmm. do what I know best. Uh, I can maximize my my profit ratio on here. I know what this costs. I know it like the back of my hand. Um, whereas you know, I, I did a, a short consulting stint with uh, 
uh, uh, sports bar in Corktown, Nemo's. Yeah. And I was like, uh, all right, well, you know, let me see, like, let me let me get your books. Like, let me balance this, like, food cost thing. Let's see what's up. And the owner's just like, nah, nah, nah just cook some food. Like, <laughs> you don't need to worry about that. But, like, I don't, I don't, <laughs> that I don't how they you know, be, though, right? like, I, like, you ain't looking at my books. What? So. Like, <laughs> you're right. So, so. I mean, it didn't last. I mean, it lasted oh, about a man. year. But like, I know fish. I don't know my meat. You know, I mean, it'd be a little bit different for me. I mean, I could of course like portion it out and mm-hmm. do it that way. But like, I can look at a fish and like see the whole fish, and then I can see how much I'm gonna get from that fish when right. I break it down. Like its yield. You know, I can mm-hmm. like think about it. Yeah, I can. That's where I'm good at it. Yeah. You know, if I was broke, breaking down a whole pig, I don't know how to break down a pig or something. Yeah. I don't know like. You know stuff like that. That's that's what I, like that's such a, a superpower. Like you're like, all right, that's seventy bucks. That's eighty bucks. And we, you <laughs> hey, should, for real though. Yeah, right. we, we need to take that's you shopping skill. for yeah. fish with us. I buy this. I buy this salmon. The whole salmon cost me a hundred bucks, and I know how to turn that salmon into four to five hundred dollars. Like, yeah, okay, that's like a that's a good skill to have. I yeah. would say. Oh yeah. Definitely. Um, but back to your question, it was just sushi that people wanted to hire us for. Uh, we always got better crowds at our sushi pop-ups, um, and it was it was one area of cuisine that I think we are better at. Than, yeah, you know? no, I know. I mean, we, like, we excel in that. Yeah, and so by you, do you mean like Caucasian people or because I know that you we do. as I mean Doctor Sushi. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I was opening it up for you. So, what what made you decide on Japanese cuisine? Ah, uh, okay. So. Uh, I grew up uh, in an Arab family. My dad was uh, Syrian, and my mother's Norwegian. You're Arab? Yeah. Mm. Well, Norwegian and Arab. Nor- so okay. I didn't know that's that. That's why no one knows. It's okay, like, yeah. The, the, the Norwegian <laughs> Scandinavian side totally cancels it out. I'm just like amorphous somewhere in the world style. Um, just nowhere and everywhere kind of thing. And so, uh, you know, my mom... Uh, loves cured and pickled fish and oh. so i'm pretty sure she was eating some stuff she shouldn't have been eating like while she was pregnant with me and that kind of made its way into my uh umbilical cord and mm-hmm. i got the taste of mackerel at an early age <laughs> um no but we'd have a lot of fish growing up but also uh with this large arab family we also you know always had large groups of people coming over to the house for like family uh, uh, celebration stuff like that so the arab hospitality fish? like was like ingrained into me no like she wouldn't put the fish out for christmas or anything but like regular weekday stuff would be okay. like so there was always a jar of like there's always a jar, <laughs> jar of like cured herring in the fridge you know yeah um but then we'd always have like lubia like for like christmas or something some arab dishes stuff oh, like nice. that all right. um the but was there. i just I, I mean like food was always all over the place for me growing up that uh you know eating something like sushi didn't wasn't like weird food that wasn't different that was just food and so um i got a job at noble fish in clausen when i was in high school uh working in the back of a japanese market and sushi bar um and that kind of was where the interest really kind of took hold um i was taking product home at the end of the day to kind of practice um and you know, practice rolling, practice this, practice that, and I was prepping all day. And then, you know, friends and family, the my friends' moms would be like, "Hey, can you come make sushi for 
the family this weekend. I'll buy the, all the ingredients. And okay, yeah, you know, that's kind of the that's foundation dope. of it. And yeah. Then when I was going to school at Wayne State, just needed to make some extra money, and so I started hustling sushi out of my now fiance's apartment. Okay, <laughs> that's what's up. Congratulations yeah. on that. Thank you. Thank you. So recently, we had a couple classes uh, on uh, cooking with Q. Um, across the street from us, and then the other at uh, Frame and uh, Hazel Park. Um, we went over teaching them how to do the wonderful world of Afro Caribbean cuisine. Um, I hear that you host cooking classes uh, as well. That's true. That's correct. Um, every month we do uh, a sushi rolling workshop. Mm. Uh, we cap it around twenty eight people. It's at Brooklyn Street Local. Uh, we sell tickets on our Eventbrite page. If you look at uh, Doctor Sushi Detroit on. Uh, Eventbrite, you'll find all the the listings. Uh, it's usually on a Wednesday evening. It's about a two hour class. Um, we're doing a Sunday one in March, though. Um, but yeah, the class is great. It's 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 uh, pretty casual. It's not like going to chef school or anything. It's a good date night sort of thing, you know. I'll I'll prep out all the ingredients, but like do a demo. Like here's how you kuda, you know, here's the katsuramaki cut on a cucumber, or like. Uh, <laughs> someone's someone always like, well, how do I make the rice? And I'm like, okay, well, uh, it's a two hour long process to make mm. sushi rice, and oh, so I go through laughing. the entire thing like step by step directions, and then I'm always like, well, that's that's why I made it for you, and everyone usually is like cracks up. But um, no, I mean, one day we'll do like an advanced class where we'll just do rice, and that's gonna be a three hour long class, you know. Um, the rice is the most important piece of it. It is, yeah. Um, rice is, is, it took me about six years to learn how to make good sushi rice. Mm. And then it took me another four years to make better sushi rice. Mm. Okay. Um, I think as of two years ago or so, I, I finally like got it. That's like, amazing. This is it. This is, this is it. Because you got to pay attention to like when the rice was grown like if you get like a, a new crop of rice right that has a higher moisture content because it's fresh and mm. so you gotta know the new crop comes out so like november december january that's when the new crop starts hitting you know that you're adding you know a uh, per cup of rice maybe like an eighth to a quarter cup less water mm. so when that comes out, you kind of have to you have to look and see like how your rice is cooking in January, and then what's it like in March? You know, like you have to like throughout the year adjust your water level based on how dry the rice is. So it's deep; it's really deep. Um, I mean, the next level would be trying to get into making my own vinegars and stuff, but I just don't have the facility for something like that. But yeah, I mean, uh, is that something you would see yourself going in down the line? Yeah, actually, the Detroit what is it? Detroit Mushroom Factory over on uh, Joe Campo. There's another business called Detroit Mushroom Company, and they have very similar logos, and they both okay. hit me up all the time, and I get them confused. But it's uh, they're over on Joe Campo. I get a weekly shipment. They got, and I gotta just look it up. Uh, Mushroom Factory, okay. Detroit Mushroom Factory. They're on Joe Campo, just north of uh, the Davison. They grow a ton of mushrooms. Like all, like these incredible restaurants in Detroit are all getting mushrooms grown in Detroit now. It's mm. amazing. Um, what was I going with that? What was I? What were we talking about? 
<laughs> I was asking you about what? your, your we asked you about your cooking classes originally. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> you holy smokes! Oh, the vinegar thing, the vinegar thing. Yeah, so they're, they're getting into making their own vinegars. So I'm sure that I don't know <laughs> what you're, you're letting this know. Holy smokes! How deeply you are in the sushi game. Oh my hey, God. he's deep, though. Yeah, I, I know. I was just going to say, I don't really know much about sushi, and it's like, man. Yeah, it's You just told me since intense. I was to cook the rice. Yeah. <laughs> like, two hours. So that just kind of answered it right there. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, two hours to cook the rice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be in sushi game if it was six-hour process. I mean, six, <laughs> six years oh, six to cook the yeah. rice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was... I was butchering it and not really trying to get it right back then but like and it takes a while perfection and like that's the only thing it. it's but like that's, it's, that's, it sounds like it gotta be a perfection game with it, sushi it's tough to teach that to someone too it's tough to be like okay like <laughs> look at this rice this is january rice you know like man and then you're talking like how do you teach someone to understand the differences between january and april rice i mean it's it's tough i'm curious so, i'm about to google it yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> I, got I mean, to. it's it's simple as saying like, yeah, it's just it's like it's moisture and it's freshness. Okay. So you know, if it's if it's dry rice, you have to soak that rice to get it back to where it was when it was a new a new crop. Anyway, the mushroom factory is going to start making vinegars, miso, uh, soy sauce, stuff like that. So we're excited mm. to collaborate with them on on uh, some specific products they can produce for us. Pretty exciting okay. stuff, yeah. Man. Be cool to have some Detroit made soy sauce, that's for sure. So that was gonna kinda lead to what I was gonna ask. What mm. type of stuff do you guys have in the lab? So it's not like you're working on the collab to get some soy sauce, yep. some miso. Yep. So what a else? lot of a lot of more like in house ferments, stuff like that. Um uh something else we've been working with the Oakland Avenue Urban Farm for a couple of years now on growing heirloom Japanese produce because okay. there's a lot of interesting vegetables out there that grow in the same climate as the midwest uh mm. they are not found in any stores here i almost just want to grow it to see what it tastes like i mean mm. there's like 10 different kinds of edamame soybeans we can grow like there's a lot of possibilities uh mm. left to be explored so it's pretty cool to have the oakland avenue urban farm uh along for that uh, also they have these uh super chicken eggs do you have you heard about these no. super chicken eggs they're called it's yeah, I call. Okay. I, I want to make sure I heard you I, right. I I call them the super chicken eggs. Um, it is. Uh, it's it's an artist project by uh, Cohen von Michelman or Michelin or Mechelze, something like that. It's, it's a Belgian name. Um, I just know. I just call him Cohen. Um, he uh, grew up on a, a chicken farm in Belgium, something like that. And has been breeding chickens since like the 80s and 90s and stuff. And so his project is called the Planetary Chicken Project. Or what is it? It's Cosmopolitan Chicken Project. Something like that. And he took this, he, he bre- like specifically bred uh, uh, chickens around the world. Like getting different chickens and breeding them together to create a new hybrid chicken. But in such a way that would... Uh, um, kind of isolate certain aspects of that breed that would uh, become like ultimately a super chicken, right? So like, uh. re- as opposed like a, a, a traditional French poulet, a chicken like that is 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 
lives for three years and you know produces like an egg a week or something like that and yeah. other chickens are meant to produce like three eggs a day but you know die after a year uh the chicken that after like 20 generations of selectively breeding it around the world okay um has it's it's called the the Mejose, he why it was called the Mejose chimani something like that it was like the last iteration was an indonesian chicken okay and then the that like that chicken was then brought to detroit to mate with the Wyandotte chicken which is native to southeast michigan mm. and so you take mm. this super chicken genealogy <laughs> and you mix it with what's local and native to this area and all of a sudden, you have this Detroit super chicken, and mm. these chickens last like they 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 can grow up to like seventeen years old. Uh, I mean, they don't they're not like egg factories, you know. They do like three, four a week, something like that. Um, but longer. these these are like the best tasting eggs I have ever tasted. Uh, super deep orange yolk, um, mm. and these these chickens live a good life, and like. It's loaded with antioxidants and is rich in vitamins. It's like a much better egg for you than what you're getting mm. what you're getting in a supermarket. So we were, you know, I was I had the honor of of catering that dinner for Cohen and using the first Detroit Super Chicken eggs in a dinner. Uh-huh. Um, and these are just the these are just the eggs you can get at Oakland Avenue Urban Farm now. I mean, they'll you know it's four bucks a dozen for the best eggs. In the world that, and especially, I mean, these are specific to Detroit. Those chickens are are grazing on local native uh, plants so and, and weeds. To Oakland Avenue Farm right now. They're closed now. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yes. Like right now, right, right now. Right, right. No, yeah, of course. Um, you know, talk to Jerry Hebron. They have a Saturday market. I think it's uh, like eleven to three. When it's okay. nice out, it's seasonal. Uh, but you can look them up. You can get you can get these eggs. That's, that's like it's it's a, comparable to Whole Foods. And it's such. a monster deal for the quality of these yeah. eggs. I mean, so like, do I they run out? Like, it's first come, first serve. I mean, yeah, not yeah. too many businesses are using these eggs. Um, you know, okay. I I when I'm doing like a raw egg application for some like a Japanese dish or. Uh, you know, I like to like cure egg yolk, something like that, or like a classic like breakfast tamago kake gohan, which is like almost like rice carbonara. Yeah. Carbonara. Um, I go for that egg because it's packed full of vitamins and just incredible chicken flavor. Um, so that's one of the things I'm most excited about. Um, as far as other things like in the pipeline or in the lab, um, we're gonna start bringing in uh some high quality coho salmon. Uh in bulk there's like mm. a frozen plant out in alaska where we can get one of the world's most uh uh sustainable seafood options which is okay. wild alaskan so salmon i am going to pause you right there yep it sounds fantastic i love all of it um when we come back we're going to get into what inspired you where and mm. when you get into we can get into some of your cooking classes and we're going to have a little bit more of the behind the food with dr sushi and you personally uh, when we come back on refrigerator diaries cool. welcome back to refrigerator 
Diaries. If you missed the first half, we are here with Dr. Sushi, a.k.a. Nick George. I'm your host, Godwin of Yum Village. I'm here with Chris Connections. How are everybody doing? So we're talking a little bit about how you got into cooking, but I don't think we got the the full-on answer. What What got you into cooking? Were you like surviving only to pay bills in no, college no, or no, no. Um, someone give you the most excellent piece of sushi and you said ah i mean i i, <laughs> I loved i loved going to i i grew up in royal oak and i got a job at noble fish when i was 16 my first job and i loved in sushi life? uh i was a soccer referee before then okay but, cool, cool, uh, cool. you know that's like one of the only jobs you can get before you're 16 legally so yeah. like yeah, I was like, as soon as I could work, I wanted to work. So, I'll all right, my soccer referee, that. yeah. Thanks you for the notes. Yeah, right. <laughs> right away, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, uh, so, yeah, when I turned 16, I got my car on my 16th, or like, you know, got my license on my 16th birthday, and I was able to get to uh, uh, Noble Fish and work in this kitchen uh, after school every day. I was so amped. Um, I would just kind of do prep in the back there and, you know, listen to music and, you know, little things like that. But I started picking up on uh, Japanese cuisine back then. Um, and then teach, I'd take like ingredients home and, and you know, roll sushi at, at night for my family and stuff like that and take home what was left over. Um, so the only food I knew how to make until I was like 24, like, was sushi. Okay. Like, I started Dr. Sushi. <laughs> it's the only food I knew how to make. Like I I learned, I knew how to make that. I knew how to make like mac and cheese, like pasta. <laughs> oh, okay. I knew how to make uh okonomiyaki though. Like which is a, a amazing a savory Japanese fish pancake. It's incredible. I learned how to make that out of the back of a giant robot magazine. So is that primarily egg or is that primarily the dough from the pancake? I thought it was a mainly it's, egg dish. I mean it's I mean it depends like uh you could do it egg heavy, you could do it flour heavy. It's kind of what style you're going for, but I mean, it's eggs, it's dashi, which is fish stock. That's like the olive oil of Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, eggs, dashi, flour, uh, mountain yam, like uh, yamaimo. And then, uh, uh, I mean, you could add whatever you want. So I put a little salt in there and then mostly cabbage. And then it's just a party. Like mix everything up in there. It's like kitchen sink style. Like what's going in? Let's put it all in there. You can put noodles on it, whatever. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's 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 one of my. I mean, I miss making it. It's it's fun to be on a flat top and you have these giant like uh, spatulas and you're throwing shit all over the place and uh, that's a good time. I kind of miss it. I haven't done it in a while. Um, But yeah, I mean, I knew how to make okonomiyaki. I knew how to make sushi. I did not know how to like roast a chicken. Like, Mm. so I started this business just doing sushi, and then. Realized people wanted like other stuff, like cater a gig, like, oh, what else you got? You know, something like that. Like, oh shit, like, I gotta learn how to make dumplings. I gotta learn mm-hmm. how to make noodles. I gotta learn how to make chicken, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. so I started teaching myself these things. And my fiance was also like an avid cook. So she was helping me a lot with a lot of things. And, uh, I think it was 2015. Um, I was like, I gotta go get actual restaurant experience. I gotta go learn how to do this stuff. Um, so I took a job, uh, as a garmage chef at, uh, uh, a ski resort in mm. Colorado. You remember, uh, Thor Brovold? Yeah, I remember so Thor. Thor, Thor was like my culinary 
guy back then. Like he was working in kitchens, and yeah. he was the one who kind of like brought me into kitchens and like showed me stuff. That's dope. Was like here's this is what charcuterie is. Like you know stuff like that. And so Thor got me this gig. He's like he called in a favor, you know, to this this just chef at this place in Colorado. So you moved to Colorado. Yeah, I moved there for five six months, and I knew it was temporary, so I didn't get stuck there. Mm-hmm. Felt stuck, but anyway, I, I get I, you know I get out there and I I just want to work as much as possible, and I I took over like the garmage station and I learned how to work in a kitchen, and then I would just ask questions left and right, and you know I learned what confit was out there, and you know learned proper cuts on like onions and stuff like that, but it was it was classic French with like a new American sort of okay. uh, you know twist on it, but. Um, Those be the kitchens where you, I mean, you can't mess right? Up. I mean, you, yeah, and and I was it was I was like chef, like it was it was chef Joe Campbell, uh, great great chef, incredible, uh, but classic French, and you know, I learned how to make a puree, you know, like uh, I don't know, just it was mm. it was it was boot camp is what yeah. I wanted it to be, and I, I said like the first week I was like Joe, kick my ass out here, like yell at me. You know, if I, if one cut is wrong, like, let me know. Like, I had so many plates sent back, like, Caesar salad, like, sent back because the Caesar salad had, like, 13 things on it, you know. We made a Cobb salad that was ridiculous. It was, like, 26 different ingredients. It was deconstructed because, you know, this is 2015, 2016. Uh, it was a deconstructed <laughs> was bad back then, 2015, 2016, <laughs> you know, ski resort style. <laughs> this $26 Cobb salad with, like, you know, like 26 ingredients on it. Mm. And, you know, the cucumber had to be thinly sliced so you could roll it up and make a cone out of it. And they had to be put in the right ways. And, like, the powder goes here. And the beet, blah, 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 the beet powder goes <laughs> over here. And, like, you know, it was it's it's it was so hyper-specific that it kind of taught me, like, here's how you work in, like, a new style kitchen. You know, here's here's where, it, like... That's smart, it, though. It was good to have it under my belt so that I could come back here and, and like, have a new fervor and a new outlook on it. That's smart, though, because mm-hmm. you were like, man, I need to learn the skill. Mm-hmm. A lot of people just sit there and complain about not learning the skill. You was like, let me just go get a job doing it, and I'm going to learn it like that. Right. I'm sure as hell not going to culinary school. <laughs> right. <laughs> no That's way. Not. What a sham that is. I'm sorry. <laughs> just get it. If you want to do it, a chef is going to take you under. If get you have job, that drive, huh? you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need to go to culinary school. Yeah, I know some of the I, best chefs I know didn't go to culinary oh, school. Yeah. I personally didn't go to culinary school. There we go. And mm-hmm. so <laughs> one one thing, though, I do think that if you don't have that drive, but you do want to work in the kitchen, then maybe like a uh, not like a full on culinary program, a school, but a culinary program at like a university or something. Uh, we'll still get you what you need. Yeah, Just, totally agree. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, those, yeah. those like some some things like you know you you have to be able to like make some plans. You have to be able to yeah. like understand. I yeah, pro, I, I, know, I can uh, see its I can see its application. I can, yeah, I can understand why people go. Some chefs they. They don't give you that stuff. They just kind of like you know you're cooking mm-hmm. or you're, you're not, you don't get those um, soft skills mm-hmm. to succeed. But mm-hmm. that being said, I also am not a, an advocate of culinary school uh, in the traditional sense of culinary school because you can only learn 
certain ingredients that you might not be using you know mm-hmm. i'm like an african guy they don't hire the french guy they don't hire the african guy to do french cooking there's no mafe week <laughs> <laughs> there's no mafe <laughs> you know so <laughs> so as i understand it though um you currently do pop-ups and catering around the city mm-hmm yeah, so the majority of the business is uh, setting up sushi bars for private events, complete with a live-action sushi station. Mm. We'll provide everything. Um, uh, but we also use pop-ups as marketing. It's mm. uh, like, hey, you know, our business exists. You know, we're out here. We're taking pictures of our food. People are enticing people to come try it and convincing people mm-hmm. that we're their next best. You know, we're a good option for your private party. You know, we've been plenty of events for like Quicken and all those bedrock companies downtown. Um, it's a cool thing because it's interactive. You know, you set up a small little sushi bar anywhere and anywhere. and you're just making it in front of people. It's mm-hmm. it's a bit of a spectacle. You're talking to people. You're making them food. They're snacking. It's a good time. Um, so that's the majority of the business. We're also subcontracted by a ton of other culinary outfits like uh, other catering businesses um, country clubs, uh, you name it, like kitchens, whatever, like apparatus room hired okay. us to do sushi. Um, and it's because they can't do it as well as us and they want to be have a good product. You know, they're proud of food. They're proud of their food. They just know that they're <laughs> going to get a much better deal. You know, we know how to, we know how to cut, we know, not cut costs, but we know how to keep the costs down. Like if, yeah. if you know, Rochester Country Club wants to make sushi this weekend they're not going to like take the time to learn how to do it. Yeah. They're not going to be able to get that fish on like, you know, know where the best place to buy their fish is. They don't know where the best place to buy their rice is, you know, things like I can that. See that. So, I can see that though. you know, we've been getting uh, a lot of business like routinely over the years by like places like the Henry and Dearborn, like where we give yeah. people preferred rates where, you know, here's what we'd charge a customer Here's what we charge a catering business. And, you know, it's a lot easier to work with a catering business. It's less time for me. I was just like, here's what I need. And they understand. We speak the same language. Okay. It's like the industry language, you know? Yeah. So, like, I don't have to make that sale to – I don't have to spend, like, an hour selling something large to a customer. You know, I don't have to do a site visit for the wedding. You know, I don't have to be, like – I don't have I to – go- Right. I mean, I you, there's no tasting, plan, you know, something like that. So, like – if an other catering outfit uh, is able to sell a sushi bar and hire us for it, they should definitely profit off that. So we offer an industry rate for people and say, you know, you That's can charge idea, you can charge whatever you want, and here's what we're going to charge you. Mm-hmm. You know, sell it however you want. So that's that's the majority of what we do. Yeah, it's similar to what we kind of do with event planning. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you'll just tell people like, "Hey, this is what we'll charge you. You can put whatever you want to put on top of it. If you can make, you know, if you want to charge twice at what the industry goes for, more power to you. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have no issue with that. As long as I get my money, I'm good. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and like you said, it's just. Stops a lot of the estrogenous. I don't have to talk to the customer all the time. I don't have to do three or four calls. I can just, you know, talk to one person, be like, yep, here's your product, leave out, still get the promotion because I'm going to put my stuff everywhere. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you just alleviate a lot of that stress. Yep. So, um, 
with all that being said, you guys looking to get a stationary, like get a brick and mortar going? Yeah, so that's that's on the that's on the horizon. Uh, okay. You know, I've you know, pop ups are great. They serve a purpose, but at a certain point you kinda hit a wall. It's like you know, you're you have to go and buy the stuff. You have to uh buy your ingredients, you gotta take it to the commissary, you gotta get it processed at the commissary, do all your prep there. Mm. You gotta pack it up, you gotta clean up your commissary because it's a shared use kitchen, right? Yeah. Or usually I mean in our case it is. Um then you gotta head to your pop up location, you gotta set it all up again, you gotta do your mise, then you gotta do your service, then you gotta clean it up and you gotta clean the whole kitchen you just popped up in. And then you gotta go back to the commissary and then you gotta put everything away and that store things properly and li- log everything and label everything. And this adds at least three hours of labor ev- like mm. for a pop-up. So like it's, <laughs> yeah, no stress. Yeah, the- and, and yeah, I mean, margins are already slim and you introduce and, and you got to pay for your commissary. It's 20 bucks an hour usually like to, to work in a kitchen space and then you got to pay for your storage space and like, I mean, this is this, these costs add up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, and then you got to figure out like which pop ups are good, which locations are good. How are you gonna keep your marketing at a certain point where you're not burning people out, but people know where you are? Um, also, it's been nine years since I started doing this. I, I bef- you know, five years ago, you're like, you want a restaurant? I'd be like, no way, like. Hell no! That that's gonna be uh, that's way above you know what I can handle right now. I'm just trying to like learn how to make sushi correctly. Yeah, and then like it comes to a point where now I've attracted a lot of like the best sushi chefs in town, and we all want to work together to be the best. How can we work together? I think the only answer is opening up shop. Mm-hmm. Um, how am I going to employ people? I mean, that's that's important. How can how can people live in and how can people live, uh, uh, Doctor Sushi? How can they? How can we? How can we have a sustainable sushi business? And yes, that's that's another part of the sustainability aspect of it is how can we sustain ourselves? How can we yeah. sustain ourselves with a living wage? How can we make sure that our customers? keep coming back you know we have sustainable business models in place Mm -hmm. so the only way i was able to make that work is you know we need a brick and mortar we need a home base so that's what we're working on right now Mm. you know we'll be we'll be we'll be basing our catering operations out of that but also you know doing lunch and dinner service as well It it makes a lot of sense and speaking of getting people to come back um why don't you, as this is something we do on every show, tell us about uh, an experience that had you wanted to come back? Why don't you tell us what's your most excellent uh, food experience? I mean, I'm just gonna I gotta I gotta shout out my favorite restaurant, and it's Al Shabab in Dearborn. It's um, it's a uh, chef Chamo Barakat. He's from Aleppo. Syria, um, and of course le- left Aleppo <laughs> probably in mid two thousand late late two thousands, and opened up shop in twenty twelve in Dearborn. This guy was the head chef of the most incredible like like a five star hotel in Aleppo, and for many years like one of the most like I mean this guy is he's the kind of guy who's you know does good food and is not like egotistical about it. He's not 
flaunting it. This guy just put his head down and make the best food. Um, and growing up having Syrian food and being part of like Arab, uh, having like Arab food all the time and seeing what that's like. I go to uh, Shamo's restaurant for the first time maybe like five years ago. And I'm looking at this menu and I'm like blown away. Because till then, every Arab restaurant I went to had the same menu. You'd find the same dishes at every single Arab restaurant. I go to Al Shabab. And he's like, oh no, this is A L C H A B A B. Uh, It coincidentally shares a name with a a Somali terrorist organization. So don't get him confused. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This guy, this guy had things on the menu I'd never heard of and dish like pictures of the food on the wall. It's like, what is this? Is this Syrian food? I, I, the first time I tried Momara, which is a uh, Aleppo pepper and walnut spread. Yeah. My mind exploded. Amazing. Absolutely exploded. I was like, I can't believe that I grew up eating Arabic food. I've never seen this in my entire life. So mm. blew me away. That is that awesome. We we're gonna have to catch your um most awkward food experience on our newsletter when we release that when it comes out here. Uh before we go, because we wanna uh, keep on time. Can you tell us when and where we can uh, get you on our next cooking class or pop up mm-hmm. or uh, where to find you on social media? Yeah, so if you haven't visited us yet, we do every Saturday night at the Brooklyn Street Local from five to nine. That's um, good to know. Every Saturday night, the Brooklyn staff at Brooklyn Street Local has been extremely welcoming. They're incredible people to work with, uh, and it's felt like a home to us already. Uh, we've been doing our sushi. Excuse me. We've been doing our sushi classes at Brooklyn Street Local for the past few years. Um, and so as soon as Irie Occasions moved on to open brick and mortar, I told Devery we'd be interested in the, the Saturday night slot. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're in there every Saturday from 5 to 9. We do a monthly sushi class there. Uh, if you check out Dr. Sushi Detroit on Eventbrite, that's where all of our tickets are. That's where you can sign up for the classes. Uh, and then we also have First Fridays at Urban Rest Brewery in Ferndale. Um, and just go to our website, or not our website, go to our Facebook. Uh, the events tab has a ca- calendar for everything. You can find it via the website, but it's just going to lead you there. Um, check us out on uh, social media. It's Dr. Sushi Detroit. That's D-R Sushi Detroit across all social media. Um, I got a mailing list, too. If you email me, I'll put you on there. Uh, but we're doing about six to eight pop-ups a month right now. Uh, it's looking like it's about to be 12 to 15 pop-ups a month uh, as we amp up towards uh, uh, brick and mortar. You know, I want to get some people on payroll right now, so I need them to start stop working elsewhere and keep only work for us, you know. Awesome. Uh, but, yeah, we'll be out there. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Godwin, and co-host Chris Connections. What up, the and uh, we'll see you on the next one. And once again, we have uh, Dr. Sushi here, a.k.a. Nick George. You can find him on social media at All Things Dr. Sushi. And uh, you can catch him every Saturday night at the uh, Brooklyn Street Local. Thanks, guys. This is hey, great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot.